I'm Abby Strauss, and welcome to the Expert Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. Every now and then, a new medication comes into the toolbox of doctors, and one of the things that has been thrown around amongst physicians for so long is how to augment antidepressants, and there has been a lot of study over the course of years of using such things as vitamins. Well, all of a sudden, in the last year or so, we have something that seems to make a difference, and we'd like to explain it a little bit and give you a sense of how it is used, some of the theory, and so on. So sit back and listen to us as we talk a little bit about chemistry and some of the real probabilities and potentialities that occur with this new substance. Tonight, we're joined by Andrew Farrow, who is the chief of psychiatry of the High Point Regional Health System in High Point, North Carolina. Dr. Farrow, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Dr. Strauss. You really hit the nail on the head. You know, for years, we've wondered, what do we do when people don't respond to antidepressants? And people have tried all sorts of add-ons or augmentation strategies to include things like lithium and thyroid hormone and more recently antipsychotics, but a whole host of things. If you do a Medline search on on such a thing, you see all kind of things being proposed as as possible augmenters. And as you mentioned, there are some new therapies that are vitamin-based, they're natural, and they're so much easier than the uh, therapies we used to augment with. So it's an exciting time. It is very, and that's where we're going to get to in just a second. But I do want to remind anybody who's listening that we are discussing this only for educational purposes. And before you decide to take a medication, it has to be a decision based on the clinical reality and decision between you and your physician. So we're not here to suggest anything. We're here just to educate perhaps if you leave this session by having a question to ask your doctor, then we will have done good. But this is not a recommendation for treatment. Right, absolutely. And, you know, we talked in, in, at the last, time, the last time we met about the homocysteine theory of depression and that sort of piqued your interest. Is that something we should go into? I think that would be very good because people need to know what home. Well, let's start with what homocysteine is. Yeah, exactly. You know, homocysteine is it's a it's an amino acid, and, and amino acids in chemical terms are just your basic building block for proteins. But of course, this is one that's it's, it's obviously a, a compound in inside of cells, and we use it to make proteins. But it, it has some negative implications for those cells. Now, it's it's one of those amino acids that's not from the diet. We have to make it, and and the amino acid that it comes from is methionine. So. Methionine is one of those essential amino acids. It's in the it's in the diet. We have to ingest it, and then our bodies take that methionine and they they add a methyl group to it, and you get homocysteine. And homocysteine is very important for a lot of reasons because then we take that homocysteine and we make neurotransmitters. And neurotransmitters are those chemical messengers between the cells in the brain that, that tell the brain what to do. So then, one of course, we're very interested in the neurotransmitter serotonin because that regulates mood, right? Norepinephrine regulates mood. Dopamine has regulates attentiveness, concentration, things like that. So those are the neurotransmitters that need homocysteine as their precursor. So you have to have to get in what they call the homocysteine cycle. Homocysteine has to be basically broken down chemically and, and it provides methyl groups eventually. Now you might also hear us talk and refer to these hormones as monoamines. Correct, yeah. Dopamine, norepinephrine, serotonin are the monoamines and basically those are the three we think about when we think about mood disorders. You're absolutely right. And so the theme is 
trimonoamine, three monoamine synthesis. And I think that takes us back to what we're really trying to talk about. It's the fact that all the previous antidepressants really worked with the amount of neurotransmitters that were already being made. Now we're talking about increasing the production. And at this time, I'd like you to take us on a walk through the homocysteine theory of depression. Sure. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a very exciting theory because for years we've said, look, patients with depression, for some genetic reason, they just have low serotonin, low norepinephrine, low monoamines. For some reason, and there have been a lot of theories as to that genetics, but we found that if you take any sample of depressed folk, you find that 70% of them have elevated homocysteine. Well, the problem with that is high homocysteine is, is toxic, and it's toxic to cells, and it puts a, a patient at risk for a stroke, for dementia, for depression, even negative symptoms of schizophrenia are correlated with high homocysteine. And since we know that homocysteine gets in the homocysteine cycle by way of B12 and L-methylfolate is broken down now, you take the methyl group off, I'm sorry, you remethylate it, and you get back to methionine, take the methyl group off, now you're back to um, the homocysteine. But homocysteine goes to methionine, methionine then goes to SAMe, and SAMe is the methyl donor for all the neurotransmitters. So that's basically the homocysteine cycle, and it requires the necessary cofactors of B12 and L-methylfolate, which is the form of folic acid. And this is the new medication that's on the market. It's it's an L-methylfolate. Its brand name is Deplin. And though we are not doing this to suggest it as a particular medication, that is the name, and you probably should ask your doctor about it. It's a cousin to folic acid. Right, because most people don't understand folic acid is really, it, it's not an active compound. It's a prodrug. Your body has to take that folic acid and break it down through four enzymatic steps all the way down to the l methylfolate and that is the active form so when i said you know 70 percent of depressed patients are low in l methylfolate the problem is that those patients have defective enzymes along the way so just for genetic reasons the enzyme in fact the, the last enzyme necessary for that transformation from folic acid or diet dietary folate all the way down to l methylfolate that's going to be less less functional and less productive in seven out of ten depressed people now if you just take a group of just the average population and aren't particularly depressed, it's actually 50% of people. So that's what's so paradoxical. Many people are walking around with low levels of active folate, and they don't even know it. And so many patients, when you supplement the L-methylfolate, they get better energy, better motivation, better concentration, and, and they feel they'll come back and say, I've never felt this good, or it feels like somebody turned on the light. So just for genetic reasons, we know there's a group of people who, who are just, half of us are walking around. And particularly in a psychiatric population, you can bet that the majority of those patients have those defective enzymes. So that's the critical cofactor, L-methylfolate, as far as going from, you know, homocysteine to methionine, methionine down to SAMe, and SAMe is the methyl donor for the, for the neurotransmitters. And many patients are familiar with SAMe. They've taken that over the counter, and that's been shown to be an augmenter for depression as well. But I tell patients the reason I don't, I used to use it, the reason I don't use it now is that now I understand the homocysteine theory because if you just give SAMe, you're providing a methyl donor, but you still have the high homocysteine. It's, it's if you have a clog in the sink, you can cut out, you know, you can open up the, the, the cabinets under the sink and cut a hole down there and, and stuff will drain out, but you still have the clog above it, and that clog above it is high homocysteine. When homocysteine's high, then it's toxic to those cells, and that's when patients are at risk for the dementia, depression, stroke, and, and the negative symptoms that we talked about. There's a question that immediately pops up. Number one, can't someone just take a whole lot extra folic acid? Right. People will ask you that. Can't I just take over-the-counter folate? But the problem with that, well, there's a couple of problems. One is, you know, you have to absorb a, lo 
absorb it and, and can you absorb enough, you know, to get a therapeutic amount. But further, you have to, tra- again, folate's just a pro-drug. Folate has to be converted all the way down to L-methylfolate to be active. So to get enough in your system, enough raw folate in your system so that your body can transform it to an active amount of L-methylfolate, which we think is above 6 milligrams of L-methylfolate to have an antidepressant effect, you'd have to take 60 pills a day. Well, that's ridiculous. You'd be taking two bottles a day, which you probably couldn't absorb. And, and the other strange thing about that is when you have high amounts of unmetabolized raw folic acid just floating around the blood, well, that actually competes with the same binding site across the blood-brain barrier with the L-methylfolate, so it inhibits the compound you need from getting in there. It's paradoxical. So taking a lot of raw folate actually lowers your brain's L-methylfolate, so it'll have the opposite effect. And finally, the reason we don't like to see patients with just high doses of folate floating around is there are studies that show that seems to lower the the efficacy of natural killer cells, which is your body's frontline defense against cancer. So I'm not saying folic acid causes cancer, but I am saying that high doses of unmetabolized folic acid do lower immunity to some extent, which is the opposite of what we thought it would do. Uh, and, but L-methylfolate doesn't do that. And, and so to get a good therapeutic amount, usually that's it's 7.5 milligrams works for most patients. Some patients need 15 milligrams of L-methylfolate before they uh, feel an augmenting effect from their depression. And there are two ways to use it. You know, there's the idea of, okay, the antidepressant isn't working. Let's add this on to make it work. And then there are patients who say, look, i got to get better right away or I'm going to lose my job. Or, for example, what I do, I'm a hospitalist in the morning, so I, I see, it's gosh, 28 inpatients. So patients are in there because they need to get better faster. They're suicidal, they're very sick, or they're not functional or, or whatever they were taking wasn't working. We'll start the antidepressant with the L-methylfolate right off the bat, and we see people recovering a lot more quickly than just with an antidepressant as monotherapy. But it sounds almost as if you could use the L-methylfolate all by itself if, in fact, it's going to increase the production of the neurohormones that we are trying to augment with the antidepressants. Yeah, I think you're ahead of your time, and I think that you're absolutely right. The antidepressant blocks the reuptake of a compound that your brain is deficient in. But the L-methylfolate just allows you to make more of that compound to begin with. So you're absolutely right. It gets at that root cause of depression. And I think that there may be a paradigm shift in the next few years where you and I see a depressed person. We give them the L-methylfolate first. If that doesn't do it, then we'll add an antidepressant to it. It won't be the other way around. Because I, I agree with you, it gets at the root cause of depression and addresses some of the genetic factors rather than just hoping your brain catches on and realizes that, you know, well, I gave this person Prozac hoping their brain would realize that there was low serotonin to start making. But we see this. We see patients say, well, every time I stop the antidepressant, I get depressed. I don't have anything to be depressed about, but I, I need this antidepressant to maintain this euthymic state. And this is a profile of somebody who probably has chronically had you know, low, low neurotransmitters, low trimonoamines because of the low folate in their brain. And the antidepressant is a crutch they've needed for a long time. But why not just give them a natural remedy? I'm, I'm with you on that. It makes so much sense because we have spent the better part of the last 50 years since imipramine was discovered dealing with a certain notion, a certain approach, a certain theory, the biological theory of depression. And along comes now a tool which allows us to really explore and test what we're now calling today the homocysteine theory of depression. It, it is it is fascinating. We've known actually since the 60s that when you 
when you're depressed, we know in the in the brain tissue we have high homocysteine and, and low L-methylfolate. We've known that for a long time. We just couldn't do anything about it because nobody had stabilized the preparation of L-methylfolate that could cross the blood-brain barrier until about three years ago, and it was such a such a nice gift to the world. The other thing that has to be mentioned is that a lot of the current psychiatric medications, and perhaps a lot is oversaying it, but some of them clearly deplete folic acid in the body. And I'm particularly talking about uh, Lamictal. You're, you're absolutely right. And, and not many people know that, but Lamictal was actually developed to be the next methotrexate. So here's a compound that inhibits dihydrofolate reductase. So the, the first enzyme you need to go from your folic acid down to your L-methylfolate, well, that's inhibited by Lamictal. So many Many lamictal patients will tell you, well, it, it, it worked for depression. It seemed to work for my mood disorder for a while. But after two or three months, I just got this low energy, low motivation, low concentration. And the first question I asked, did you like it? Did you like the lamictalism? Did it benefit your mood overall as a mood stabilizer? And if they say, yeah, I kind of liked it, then I'll keep them on it. Maybe lower the dose, uh, particularly if it's over 150 milligrams. You often see that, that folate issue. But I'll go ahead and give them 15 milligrams of L-methylfolate. Usually they feel better right away. If they, they say, well, I wasn't really crazy about the lamictal, but Dr. So-and-so really liked it or whatever, I'll just go ahead and stop it, replenish their L-methylfolate and see how they do. The first-generation anticonvulsants also are folate-depleting through the enzyme inhibition, and generation ones are okay, though, other than lamictal. So basically, if someone's on lamictal for either a bipolar disorder or seizure control, or we use it very widely in psychiatry for other possibilities, what seems to be suggested here is that if there is less than an optimal response, you people will say, you know, Doc, I'm kind of there, mm-hmm. then perhaps giving them the, some L-methylfolate may just pick them up over the edge that we need to get them over. That's, it's a great strategy, yeah. Patients on birth control pills, for example, the high-dose estrogens actually suppress the expression of those genes necessary for folate absorption. So the young lady who says, well, I always get moody on my birth control pills, well, that's probably just estrogens in the brain. But if, but if she says, you know, the longer I've been on this, you know, I just get this low energy, I feel more depressed and, and almost kind of foggy-headed feelings. You know, that's somebody who's uh, probably low in folate. Other drugs to be mindful of, believe it or not, lithium is associated with low folate. Certain disease states, of course, and in particular, Parkinson's. Now, Parkinson's patients are obviously prone to depression, and in particular, Parkinson's patients who's taking sentiment, taking taking L-DOPA. You see, the thing about L-DOPA is it requires the donation of the methyl group from SAMe to be metabolized. So patients on, on L-DOPA wind up with high homocysteine levels. And the problem is they can't remethylate their homocysteine down to methionine. And so what they, they call that the methyl sink, right? So the methyl groups are getting sucked away by that L-DOPA, and the patients just get low in serotonin, norepinephrine, and, and they just become depressed. So sort of a, a, what you see with the, um, the Parkinson's patient uh, on Cinemat or the Lewy body dementia patient on, on Cinemat. So these folks are at very high risk for this. And I would imagine also then a lot of people at high risk would be the alcoholics. Oh, absolutely, because, of course, they're going to be at risk for folate depletion and also B12 depletion. So there is, you can also use the B12 that crosses the blood-brain barrier too. So it's actually become routine for our folks in detox to receive uh, L-methylfolate. And, and I've used it in alcoholic dementia and so forth as well. Yeah, and again, we're, you, you, I'm glad you stress this is not a specific treatment recommendation. Got to talk to your doctor about these things, but it's just nice to know what people are prescribing. And, and Abby, you reminded me, there's, you know how for years we used to add uh, thyroid hormone to people who's, we knew their thyroids were functioning fine. We just added the thyroid hormone to give them that boost out of the depression. You know, they're patients with normal 
methylfolate balance, normal folate in their, in their brain, but we go ahead and give them the L-methylfolate, and they still benefit. So you don't have to be depleted. You don't have to have that genetic risk just to benefit from the compound. It's one of those compounds that does no harm, and it has tremendous potential for benefit. Dr. Farah is the Chief of Psychiatry at High Point Regional Health Center in High Point, North Carolina, and we've had the privilege of having him take us quickly through a very complicated but very necessary advancement in the treatment of different types of conditions, and of course we're focusing a bit more on psychiatry than other conditions, but the whole notion of L-methylfolate and its new role and the fact that it brings to us a tool to deal with a potentially new theory, the homocysteine theory, that could explain a great number of the reasons why people get depressed or they're having inadequate or suboptimal responses from traditional treatments. Dr. Farah, thank you so much for being with us. I hope that in the future we can get you again and do some updates as this thing evolves. I'd be delighted.